Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing well, thank you. We're excited now to to really get into the gospel. And we're going to start in Romans. As we get started, let's just have a quick word of prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your word that gives us hope and strength. We ask that you would be with our listeners and be with us here as we delve into your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to get into the, the, the meat of Romans. So here's a little introduction uh, so we can give people a frame of reference of, of where we are at with the gospel and especially Paul's letter. Romans is a very complete dissertation, whatever you want to call it, explanation of the gospel as Paul understood it. And it's uh, complete from beginning to end. It's a good place to spend a lot of time studying personally, but also to, you know, to get a, a grasp of what the good news is. A lot of people ask the question, what is the good news? You know, why is the gospel called the good news? I think that Romans comes right out of the gate and tells us why it's good news. It says it in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's good news, that there's a power that God can use for the salvation, yours and mine. Of course, it's only good news if you, you know that you need to be saved from something. Right. Yeah. Oftentimes we, we talk about the gospel as if, uh, well, the gospel's eating healthy and acting a certain way. And when honestly, you know, some people don't think about that as good news or, or the fact that Jesus is coming back because even, even that isn't good news for some people because they're not ready. And so when they hear that, it's like, Ooh, I don't, particularly want Jesus to come back because I know I'm, I'm not a big fan or whatever their excuse is. That might be just, they don't think they're ready or their family's ready or somebody else they know is not ready. And so they're, they just, uh, it's not good news to, to uh, think about that anytime soon. You know, it's, it's cause you fear, you fear the loss of people that you love, all kinds of different reasons, like you said. So the gospel has to be something different than that evokes that in our thinking. It has to be something that's clearly is good news to not just a couple of people, but to all people. You remember when the, the uh, shepherds were in the field in the story of Jesus' birth, uh, the shepherds were out in the fields and the angels came and they said, glory to God in the highest, right? The, that was good news to them. They came with good news about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that good news was concurrent with the whole life string of his, his whole life string, like from beginning to end, that was all the good news toward, for us. And what Paul is saying here in Romans is, is, is that's the fact. That's that fact that Jesus came and he died for our sins and that he was resurrected. That is good news for you. So what, what we're here to do today is to figure out a little bit why why is that so? Yeah, and when we talk about the gospel in connection with city ministry, we can look around at the folks that, that we've met here and, you know, they'll ask, well, why, why is this good news for me? You know, how can, how can this benefit my life? The experience that we've had with many people is that they, they've been told that the gospel is a certain thing 
it hasn't brought joy or peace into their life. And so it hasn't been good news for them. So this is, this is very different what we're talking about because it's the life, death, and resurrection and the new life in Christ, not necessarily the things that we may traditionally think of, of the gospel or just this kind of general idea of faith, but it's something much deeper and much more relational too. Yeah, definitely. And it has to be, it has to be that simple to be that, to be good news for everybody. Uh, you know, one of, one of the things that's changing in the world today, especially in cities, is, is that less and less people have a traditional background or understanding of Christian literature or principles or whatever. Uh, you know, there's places where uh, now in, in the United States, for instance, where 40 percent of the population of an urban ministry is noncommittal when you're asked about their religious preference. In other words, they have no you know, they may be agnostic, atheist or nothing. They call themselves nons or nuns, you know. And so the world today that we're trying to work in, uh, in, in the city ministries is a lot more like when Paul went to a cities than it was in the early 1900s here. This country was founded by people who were believers. And I believe I read somewhere that over 90% of them were Christians of some sort as they started this in this new world. And that has changed dramatically. So our approach to ministry also has to change. We, instead of just re-explaining truths in the context of how we see the Bible reading, we now have to go back to the very basic elements of, of uh, what the gospel is so that we can relate it to people who have no background whatsoever. In other words, these people are starting way away from the cross. And so we're, we're just trying to move them towards it by teaching very basic principles. And uh, sometimes that takes a long time, but it's wonderful seed of progress. And when the light goes on about the truth of the gospel, it's one of the most exciting things that you can be a part of. Yeah, some of the recent experiences that I've been having especially talking to people online, they unashamedly say, yeah, the gospel is not good news for me because the way it's been given to me, the way that's been described to me is that if you don't believe in this, then essentially God hates you or God is going to punish you or, and, you know, some variation of that. There's no joy for them in being told that kind of message. So there's a, there's a whole world out there that, is just not familiar with the gospel and what it actually means that it is good news. There's another part to it too, as well. And that is, is those of us who have been the, the ones who are supposedly bringing the good news to people, um, maybe our lives don't look like we have any good news in them at all. In other words, part of the, the onus of it not being good news to people is the fact that we haven't engaged it for ourselves completely, or maybe we haven't understood it completely for ourselves. Because once you begin to understand what God has done on our behalf, it changes who you are. And that change is what really the change in you is what really makes the gospel effective as you begin to work with other people, because they see something in you that they have a desire to know about. Yeah, it's just like any other health activity or 
you know, social type of, of program where somebody is gaining a benefit. And if you have friends that are interested in what you're doing and they notice a change in you, they're going to ask questions. You know, that's, that's what should be happening with our communities. You know, people should be curious about why does your life seem so much better? Why do you have such a positive attitude? You know, what, what's going on? Yeah, that's exactly true in that uh, if somebody isn't revealing Christ and revealing the goodness of who he is in their life and uh, they walk around like they're sad or they're unhappy or they're angry or they're all these things that we have in our lives and that's the substance of who they are, then other people, even though they call themselves Christians, that's who they are. Other people look at that and say, why should I want that? Why, why, why would I want what they have if it's making them miserable? You know, you got it's got to be good or else, you know, nobody else is going to want it. And the only way they're going to see that it's good is if it's having its effect in somebody's uh, somebody who professes it in their life. Yeah. One of our friends, uh, Lillian, she likes to joke about how we'll tell people to, oh, come to church. You know, we've got all these complications and, you know, we've we've got fighting. So come be a part of our misery. And when <laughs> when that should not be the case, we should be a warm and welcoming place where the love of, of God is, is alive and that people can see that. And that's what motivates people to change. Yeah. A friend of mine a long time ago described Adventists in certain ways by just changing, you know, the way you spell it. And, and sometimes we all we come encounter with in our realm is sad Venice, just people who just are sad, you know, and they haven't seen the goodness of the victory in Jesus Christ, or, or they could be mad Venice. I've, I've encountered them as well. And there's even some bad Venice. Oh, we'll give a shout out to <laughs> the bad Ventus. So yeah. yeah, that podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we should be glad Venice. We should be so happy that we have been given the opportunity to share the best news the world has ever been given in, in the work that we do with other people it should change our lives to the point where people are just like, man, I want what he has because I need it. So as we're, you know, approaching the idea of sharing what the gospel is, you know, we, one thing we can say it is, is it's life changing. It's life changing in that it apparently, because it's the power of God for salvation, apparently we need saving. and. It takes us from a place of being unsaved to being saved. And it has nothing to do with anything I've done because it's the power of God unto salvation. And so that, that transformation of realizing that I'm no longer sitting under this, this umbrella of, or this a sword of being unsaved, it's a, it's a release as we understand what God has done and uh, taking us into his heart. When we say saved and people ask that, uh, are you saved? Really, what are we asking them? What are they saved from? That's a good question. Um, you know, and it's part of what we need to talk about because apparently it's not just a singular condition for a particular person. And if you, it's a, uh, in the Bible, it's ascribed to all of us that we're, you know, we find ourselves in a position of needing saving. It goes all the way back to the, the fact that we, humanity moved into sin, you know, way back in the, 
book of Genesis and moved back, moved into sin. And that's kind of been what has kept us uh, captive for so long uh, as a, as a people and as individuals as well. And so being saved from our sins, I guess, is what it comes down to. So if we were going to put that in non-Christianese, how do we say that? You know, I have, I've come at it from uh, several different angles, you know, talking about, uh, well, you know, God is saving us from entropy and the eventual decay of life. And, you know, he's, he's giving us his life. And so he's saving us from eventual death. That's an excellent way. And we can do that even just in the physicality of life. And the fact is, is that, you know, we, we all are going to die. And uh, the gospel actually, in, in that respect, offers us eternal life. So it's just the opposite of, uh, of you know, the continual physical decay. Eventually we may die, but with the hope of eternal life hereafter. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a wonderful way of saying who, who wouldn't want eternal life now is this a realization is, is that at some point you slow down and you die. And I think it has to be said, you know, when I, when I look at the way that the Bible talks about life and eternal life, it's really just talking about life in general, because the way that God intended us to live, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to experience the whole gamut of life and not the, not the condition, you know, this, we're kind of half alive uh, on this side of eternity, but there's this aspect of life that we're not experiencing if, if we don't know the creator of life. Yeah. And eternal life is, we tend to jump right into the notion that it's a, a term of quantity and, and rather what you're talking about is really a quality of life that we enter into. Uh, that and that's why we can say eternal life begins today as you believe in Jesus Christ. This is because you, the quality of your life now changes. Uh, the quantity part comes with it, but the, it's really what you just described in terms of things are different now. I'm not standing under condemnation anymore, and uh, you know I I don't have to worry about all the things that you know I worried about before because Christ took them to the cross with him. Yeah, this is, uh, this is the good news. And it, it needs to be even more simple than that for some folks. All right. So this word gospel, it means good news, but where does that come from? Yeah, it comes from uh, a word called evangelion that kind of served more of a purpose of uh, in an agricultural society in that... Uh, people would wait for uh, shipments of grain to come to their city uh, to feed the population. And uh, as they waited, they would have someone looking out for the ships who would deliver the grain. And uh, when they would see them in a distance, they would yell out, Evangelion, uh, good news, the ship is coming, the food is coming, which, you know, food means life and the sustenance of life. It has the same effect now as, as we can, we don't have to look afar off anymore because Jesus has come, but life has come to us in, in the form of Jesus Christ. And like you said before earlier, that it's, it's not just life, it's life more abundant than we can imagine. 
So it be, how does that happen? I guess is the question. How does that happen to, how do we take hold of it? And those are things that we're going to try to discover as we move forward. But, you know, what does that mean for us to, you know, have more life and more life, more abundance of life. And truly this is the key to taking hold of what Christ came to offer is to understanding that everything that God does is out of a principle that as to who he is. And that is in first John chapter four, verse 16, it says there's this phrase that says, God is love. It doesn't say God is loving. It says God is love. It's a, it's the very core and essence of who he is. And out of that love, his primary desire is to, to give life. We could come to the conclusion, you know, based on the scripture that everything that God says or does as he intersects with humanity is order is because he loves us and because he desires for us to have life. Yeah. There's a really great quote that I love from C.S. Lewis uh, in mere Christianity about how he says that the Trinity is, is love because you need more than one person in order for love to exist. And he says that the, the dynamic activity of love has been going on in God uh, for eternity. And I just feel that encapsulates so well uh, who God is and that he's just reaching out to touch our lives. And that's, that's what the gospel is. And in that love, like I said, is encapsulated the notion of that he, he desires for us to have life and life more abundant is that because he loves us, he wants us to have better life. In fact, he, the, the gospel gives us the opportunity to have the life of Jesus within us, which is a better life. Uh, it's, that's kind of ethereal at this point in time in our discussion. But it's true. It's true that the new life that he would implant in us is so incredible that it changes who we are and it comes by means of the Holy spirit as he implants himself within us. And we'll see that later on in Romans chapter five. What we need to know right now is that the good news comes out of God's desire and his love for us and his desire for us to have life. Yeah. That's something that really changed my thinking about the gospel uh, was when I saw that the life that God is offering us is not some ethereal MacGuffin type thing that you go on this quest for, like it's an object you need to obtain and find locked in a dungeon somewhere, but it's, we're actually partaking of the life of Christ. He's sharing his own life with us. And that's how we are reunited with God by becoming a part of that. Yeah. It's a much better life than what we've had, especially under sin. And so it's very, this is very exciting to look at it from this perspective to see that uh, everything that the Jesus tried to accomplish as he came to the world was be, comes out of the fact that God is love and that he so desires to express his love to us and be rejoined to us that uh, all the sacrifices that Jesus made in his life on our behalf are just to that purpose. So God loves you. That's the simplicity of it is that God loves you irrespective of who you are or what your circumstances are. You are his child that he misses. And that's where we start with that is good news is because so many people in the world today don't 
feel loved in any way. They don't have the experience of love in their lives and we see more and more of that happening. And so the very first premise of the gospel is, is that God is love and that he has always loved you and he has expressed it to you through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, Paul mentions in verse 16 of Romans 1 about the power of God and how that is able to bring salvation. So how do, how do you think we see the power of God in action through the gospel? Most everybody who's listening probably can relate to the idea that there's powers at work in our lives that take us often in other directions. And so it takes a power, almost like a dynamite, to kind of move us in the, if you're moving in one direction, to move in a different direction, so to speak. And so there's, there's this very, very difficult thing that comes with sin that begins to take control of our lives. And, and it's a power. It is a power. It's actually, a, Paul later calls it a law that's within us that begins to take us down this path. And then God comes along and he says, but I have a power that can change that. You don't have to, you don't have to have the experience of what, where that leads to. Uh, because, because I love you so much, I've chosen to give you life and that life comes through my son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ actually is the power of God that leads to salvation. It's his, and you mentioned it earlier, it's very simple. It's very simple. It's the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's in no way I can attribute any part of that to something that I've done. It was his life. And what's good about it is, is, is that God says, okay, because he's your brother, he's, he's human. His life can become your life if you accept him as your personal savior. And that's good news. It's just because he had a perfect life. He died a death that wasn't, you know, he didn't need to uh, because of sinfulness in his own life. He had it. He never sinned, the Bible teaches. And we'll get into those next on our next um, uh, talk together. We're going to specifically look at those four elements of the life of Jesus and how that's efficacious or has its efficiency in our lives as we're moving towards the cross. You know, we, we've seen uh, the power of God at, at work in some of the people here at Simplicity Outreach. And, uh, you know, we talked about Ivan earlier. And yeah, there was a lot of stuff that he went through, a lot of, a lot of different stuff going on in his life that, you know, he had to work through. And it was, at some moments, it was, it was really difficult for him because he had to grow past things that were, just had been a part of his life for, for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and many others, you know, we could say the same thing as we've encountered people like, you know, sometimes you're in a, for, for those of you who've gone through this experience, you can relate to it. And that is, is when you find Jesus Christ and you understand the power that God has to change your life. Sometimes you realize how, just how deep you are and how far away you are from him to start with, you know, you realize that you have a desperate need for just this power in your life just to, you know, begin to affect some change 
in an outlook as you move forward. But it's what's beautiful about it is from the moment, despite your position or despite uh, where you're at, whether or not you're um, in very deep despair or you're in sin or when Christ comes to you and you hear what he has done on your behalf and you say yes to Jesus, in other words, you accept what he's done as on your behalf as your salvation, then you can move forward in confidence knowing that Jesus has saved you from your sins. It's quite simple. Yeah, it seems sometimes the way that we talk about our experience and related to other people, it's not very hopeful because we we put so much of ourself into our own effort. And I mean that by like, sometimes we'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm good, you know, I'm doing all right. Or when we really may not be, when really, you know, we're on this roller coaster of kind of feeling up and down, we'll have mountaintop experiences and then we'll have these valley times of where we're feeling maybe even depressed and like we need to kind of maybe get away from God because we think maybe he's mad at us or something. For me, that's like, I'm, I'm really looking too much at myself and basing my, my understanding of the gospel off of my ability to understand it and comprehend it and put it into action when really it's, it's, it's God's work and just trusting that I'm safe in his hands. Yeah. We often just, we look at ourselves in terms of our own personal performance and we, that's how we evaluate our savability. In other words, God can only save me if I'm in a certain place. And, you know, it's, there's an easy way of looking at that and challenging that notion. And that is that, uh, well, when are you safe to save? Is it when you're 51% pure or is it when you're 65% pure or is it when you're, uh, and, uh, most people then have to come to grips with the idea that I might, I might be 97% pure based on my own works, which it's not true. I don't know how you would ever gauge <laughs> you that. Would never get, but, but people, certainly people think about themselves in those ways, you know, at times. But uh, you know what? That still doesn't make you savable because the mandate or the, the level is 100%. And that only comes to us through Jesus Christ. And that's why the, it's so beautiful is, is that I don't, have to, I don't have to wrestle necessarily with how pure I am I need to wrestle with how much I've accepted what Christ has done on my behalf and have the desire for the Holy Spirit to be poured into me on a daily basis so that I can grow into what he would have me to be. There's a certain amount of assurance that comes with looking at the gospel from the truth, this truth perspective. We can rest on the fact that Jesus is doing a work in us. Yeah, we don't have to ask God to make us stronger because the whole point of the gospel is that we aren't strong and that he is. He's the one who gives us strength. And when we wait upon him, it's then that we have the strength for the day to go on. That's so exciting and exhilarating because we don't, you know, it takes it takes a heavy burden off of us. Many people in the world today are just saddened and they're saddened because they actually realize their condition without, you know, God. And they don't, might not know that, but they realize they, they think of themselves as miserable human beings or 
whatever the case may be, they don't feel good about themselves. In our city here in Allentown, um, 25% of the population feels unhappy with the life that they're living. And, you know, that's one out of every four people who's feeling like their, their life is sort of in the dumps, so to speak. And they don't, and a lot of that is just a, the fact that they don't have any real internal hope for moving forward from where they're at right now. And so it's, uh, that it, along with other things that we've already mentioned makes like Allentown and other cities, the, um, places where there's density of people, really great places for the gospel, the purity of the gospel message to come forth because it, it quickly allows people to move from despair into joy. So I'm reminded of some of the stories, simplicity here about the power of God and how it's affected people's lives for the better. And one of the couples that we've worked with, uh, the names are Deb and Russell, and Deb has had uh, some health concerns and when we first met them, uh, she was going through some difficult times and uh, she was diabetic. At one point, the doctor said that her foot would need to be amputated because her toe had turned black and wasn't looking good at all. And so at that time, we actually had another, another missionary here by the name of Becca, and she was working with them closely, doing Bible studies with them. So she was faced with the reality of having to have that amputated. And so Becca and uh, Wes, our director at the time, uh, had a special prayer service for, for them, had an anointing. And she went to her doctor's appointment again and they said, hey, it doesn't need to be amputated now. We were all just praising the Lord because Amen. of that testimony. And to see that change take place in their lives and what that meant for them, because now they didn't have to go through the, you know, the complications of that surgery and what that would mean for her, how that would change her life. It just meant that her, you know, mobility wouldn't be limited. We just saw a new way for them to experience the joy that God had for them. And it was just amazing because it deepened their faith in God and our relationship with them so that we could come closer to them and work with them. And it's good to know that there are people in the community who have benefited from God moving in us to reach them. That's what I love about the gospel, how God actually uses us. He doesn't necessarily want to appear to us in like some vision or dream or spiritual form, but he uses ordinary everyday people to spread the, the message about how much he loves them truly is good news that we get to be part of that, uh, you know, that process of God working in the world through us. That's, uh, that's the exciting part after, as soon as we learn what uh, Christ has done for us on our behalf, it's almost impulsive then as the Holy spirit begins to enter into us to have the desire to turn around and tell somebody else about that. Uh, it is an impulse because, because, because God is now in us. And he's now reaching out to other people through us. And it's, it's quite wonderful when that power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God begins to, because of the, the, how it's changed our lives, begins to move to those who are around us. It's like the arms of the cross. You know, it comes down to us from heaven, but then it reaches 
out side to side to other people. You have to constantly be looking for that opportunity because it's it, that that's the exciting part of taking hold of the gospel. And when I teach people, when I teach uh, students, I teach them that they at sooner or later, they have to stop just being listeners and hearing the truth. They have to be practitioners of it and tell others. Otherwise, it's the good news is it must not be that good. Yeah, you use it or lose it. Yeah, you got to get out there and you got to start talking to people about it. And Paul says that. He says, you know, you got to get to a point where you're not ashamed of the gospel. Because some people are going to say that it's, you know, that it's, um, that it's, it's not very good science. <laughs> it's not a very good notion. It's not, it's, you know, it's not good thinking to think that way, that it's, uh, that you might even be today, they're using words like, you know, stupid or, or uh, that you, you don't, you, you aren't very bright or intelligent if you think that way. And the Bible all predicted all of those things would occur, but today it's happening, but we don't have to be afraid of the gospel or ashamed of it because we, through the experience of taking hold of it, have that power in our lives so we can give witness to the, the effect of the power in our own personal lives and see what Christ has done on our behalf and in us. And that makes us a powerful witness to the people around us. We only have our own witness. We only have our own testimony. And that's the most effective thing that we can give as we receive what Christ has done. Thanks for listening. Visit AdventistCityMinistries.com for more resources, including a study guide, reference compilation, and free downloads of our book, The Ephesus Model. You can also listen to other presentations and episodes of this podcast. See the show notes for links and more information. 